Hello, welcome back to Oro Valley Catholic, and this is Father John Arnold. Today we're going to talk about friendship with God and the greatest commandments. To think of yourself as God's friend is to accept that you and God have something in common. It's true that God condescends to us, but we have to remember that he shares his divine life with us in the sacraments. Friendship, according to Aristotle, is when two persons share something in common, then friendship is possible. They could share a workplace. They could share hobbies. They could share a faith. They could share a bed in in marriage. These are the bases of friendship and and love. And so this is the gospel, and it's from Luke 12. Uh, One of the scribes came to Jesus and asked him, which is the first of all the commandments? And Jesus replied, the first is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe said to him, Well said, teacher, you're right in saying, He is the one, and there is no other than he. And to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. It's worth more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw they had answered with understanding, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Well, he's standing right next to the kingdom of God. No one dared to ask him any questions. What I want to do is to put this story about uh, friendship with God, which is how we're supposed to love God and how we're supposed to love our neighbor in the larger context of the Christian story, starting with Genesis and going to the very end of the Gospel of John. You know, interesting, we've been through two months in chapters 8, 9, and 10 about discipleship. Now we skip to chapter, we're in chapter 12, but we're in Holy Week. The first 10 chapters of Mark, Mark chapters 1 through 10, take us through three years of Jesus' ministry. Then when you get to chapter 11, there's, five, there's 11 through 16 is left in the Gospel of Mark. Those 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, those five chapters, they just cover one week. And there's a lot shoved into that one week. So when we talk about this story, I want to put it in a bigger context. But to start with a story that I hope you remember from Genesis chapter 22. Do you remember God says to Abraham, God put Abraham to the test and said to him, Abraham, Abraham, and Abraham said, here I am. Then God said, take your son Isaac, your only one whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. There offer him up as a burnt offering on one of the heights that I will point out to you. So if you remember the story, Abraham gets his son. There's this wonderful story, his father and son walk up Mount Moriah, Isaac, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham in his trust says, God will provide. And then Abraham binds his son. It's called the Akedah, binding of Isaac. And he is going to comply with God's command to him. But the angel of God stops Abraham. Don't lay a hand on that young man. And he provides a a ram, a a ram, a male sheep to be sacrificed in place of his own child. You know, 
The passage states that the event occurred at the Mount of the Lord in the land of Moriah. In 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, it refers to Mount Moriah as the site of Solomon's temple. So Mount Moriah and Mount Zion are the same place. Psalms 24, Isaiah 2, 3, and chapter 30, and Zechariah 8 use the term the Mount of the Lord to refer to the site of Solomon's temple in Jerusalem. So it's pretty well accepted in, in uh, the Old Testament that Moriah and Mount Zion are the same place. And Mount Zion's the place where Jesus, the Son of God, the beloved of God, is going to be uh, offered in sacrifice. Um, because he'll say in uh, the Gospel of John, no greater love is there than a, that one would lay down his life for a friend. And he calls his disciples his friends. But in the Gospel of Mark, it's the same theme of friendship and the beloved son, but in a different way. If you go back to Mark chapter 1, the baptism of Jesus, it said, It happened in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. On coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit, like a dove, descending upon him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. You know, there's always this question about the Akedah, the binding of Isaac. Take your son, your beloved, and you take him to this mountain and sacrifice him. But you know, here in the baptism of Jesus, it's God's voice that says to Jesus, you are my beloved son. Isn't that interesting how the scriptures bring that story of the binding of, of, of uh, Isaac into the story of Jesus? But all of this is in this prophetic paradigm. And that is what I want to focus on as we go through all of the events of Holy Week surrounding this beautiful passage about loving God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And the key book is Malachi chapter 3. Because remember, Jesus is, has entered into Jerusalem. And he's on his way to the temple. By the time this story's happened, he's already cleansed the temple of the moneylenders. I'm going to go back through that story, but I want you to have Malachi's prophecy in the back of your head as you're listening to this story of Holy Week. What happens between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. And if you understand what the third chapter of Malachi is saying, you see all of this story of Holy Week as the fulfillment of prophetic, um, of prophetic writings. And so here's Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to read the first three verses, three, four verses. Now I'm sending my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will come suddenly to his temple. This is exactly what happened when Jesus entered in Jerusalem. He came suddenly to the temple. And the messenger of the covenant whom you desire, see he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand firm when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire, like a fuller's lie. He will sit refining and purifying silver and will purify the Levites, refining them like gold or silver, that they may bring offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord as in ancient days, as in years gone by. 
I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be swift to bear witness against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, those who deprive a laborer of wages, oppress a widow or an orphan, or turn aside a resident alien without fearing me, says the Lord of hosts. And then later in chapter 12 in Malachi, it says, All the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord. And then further down, Then you will again distinguish between the just and the wicked, between the person who serves God and the one who does not. And then concluding, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, whom I charged at Horeb with statutes and ordinance for all Israel. I'm sending to you Elijah the prophet before the day of the Lord comes, that great and terrible day. Just think of those passages. The very first one is says that the Lord is coming himself and he's going to come to the temple and suddenly he'll appear and he will be a cleansing fire in the temple. Think of Jesus cleansing the temple, whipping the moneylenders. And then it says he'll be a blessing on all nations. All nations will call you blessed because Jesus says people will come from the north and the south, the east and the west uh, to share the banquet, which is the Eucharist. And then you'll be able to distinguish between the just and the wicked, between the person who serves God and the one who does not because of how people treat Jesus, who persecutes him, who stands with him. And then the story of Moses and Elijah about the messenger that will prepare the way. And Jesus himself says, that's John the Baptist. So think about all of this as we go through the story, at least the beginning of the story of Holy Week. It's about prophecy and fulfillment, Holy Week and friendship with God. These disciples who have been prepared are walking with Jesus on the way to Calvary. All will be shaken, just like Malachi says. But as Bartimaeus, whose story of his healing, who is probably there following along, what he's learning is, is what love really is. Because it's really the story about Isaac's love for his father, Abraham's love for his son, God's love for us all. Let's turn and talk about the story of Holy Week. This story about loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, loving your neighbor as yourself, is all part of Jesus entering Jerusalem in Holy Week and cleansing the temple. Do you remember last week they were in Jericho and Bartimaeus says, uh, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus heals him and Bartimaeus follows him on the way from Jericho, the lowest point on the planet, up to uh, Mount Zion, Mount Moriah, where Jesus will be sacrificed. So Bartimaeus is following him through all of this. That phrase, son of David, that messianic phrase, Think about how that characterizes Jesus' entry into Jerusalem and what he does. And so Jesus sends his disciples, you remember this from Palm Sunday and the story of Holy Week. He sends his disciples to get a donkey. He mounts the donkey, and as they ride into Jerusalem, do you remember people wave palm branches? That gesture of waving palm branches, the sign of the victor, 
that comes right out of 2 Maccabees, when the Maccabees go to cleanse the temple after they defeated the Greeks in battle. And this is that big war between the Jews and the Greeks in the second and third century that ultimately gave Israel its freedom for a few years before the Romans showed up. But in the cleansing of the temple, the Maccabees tore down the pagan idols, the uh, statues of Apollo, they tore down the pagan altar, they erected their own altar, and remember they didn't have enough oil so it burned for eight days. This is where the Feast of Hanukkah comes from. And so uh, that waving of the palms is about this historic event. How about laying down their cloaks in front of um, in front of Jesus? This comes out of the story in, in 2 Kings when Elisha anoints Jehu, a uh, king of Israel. That's the northern uh, that's the northern kingdom. And he's going to unseat the evil king Ahab. And so when he uh, enters and he's getting ready to, to get rid of Ahab of the Omrid dynasty, what do the people of Israel do? They take off their cloaks and they lay it down in front of him. And he walks in on their cloaks because it's a sign of submission. And so that comes out of 2 Kings and the story of Holy Week. And then the donkey, that comes right out of 1 Kings as King David is dying his son Adonijah is trying to usurp the throne, get by Solomon, but David decides he's going to choose a successor and it's going to be King Solomon. So he tells the head high priest, Zadok, and he tells the, um, the prophet to put Solomon on his own mule so that the people will see him riding the king's mule to go be anointed. All three elements are there in the story of Jesus' entry. The mule, the palms, and the laying down of cloaks. And what does he do immediately? He does exactly what Malachi says he's going to do. He suddenly appears at the temple, and he starts to tear it up and get rid of the moneylenders. Um, the idea of the moneylenders is you couldn't have uh, Gentile money in the temple. So you had to go, and, and the money changers, I should say, you had to go and exchange Roman drachmas, for temple temple currency, um, and but the chief priests apparently had the uh, franchise of selling the doves, and it had been done outside the temple precincts at one point, according to ancient Jewish sources, but it had been moved into the temple precincts, and this is what um, uh, Jesus is cleansing uh, the temple of is is this greed. Uh, in, in the Gospel of Mark. And it figures into another story. Remember, Jesus is in the temple. And after the story about what are the greatest commandments, and this is by a scribe, another scribe comes up and says, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? This is also in this chapter 12. And Jesus says, well, let me see a drachma. And so the scribe reaches in and pulls out a drachma and shows it to Jesus. Trick question, you're not supposed to have a drachma in the temple. You're supposed to have exchanged it um, for temple money. So the scribe has showed up as being a hypocrite anyway. And whose image is on it? Caesar's. Well, he says, render unto Caesar's what is Caesar's, but under God, unto God what is God's. Because whose image is on you? Whose image is on the scribe? It's the, uh, the image of, of, of God. 
And so think about Malachi again, the judgment between the good and the bad. So this story about um, the uh, love of God and love of neighbor, that's the scribe that asks that. And Jesus, uh, the scribe says, you've answered well. Uh, This is greater than any sacrifice. And he's standing in the temple saying it. And then Jesus says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Because this scribe can see beyond this physical temple under construction. So the next story, which is the story of paying taxes, it's another scribe who's standing in the temple, just like the first scribe, but he's a bit of a hypocrite. And he's trying to trip up Jesus. The first scribe, he actually wants to hear what Jesus says and responds enthusiastically to what's been said. The second tribe, trying to trip him up. Malachi again. How God um, divides the good from the bad. Who's living the life of virtue? Well, this story about love of God with all your heart, your soul, your mind and your strength. This is a story about divine friendship. And it's a story that's brought to a completion on the cross, but it's present in all the gospels. So now we're gonna to talk to a very brief discussion about uh, friendship and virtue and the role that both play in our friendship with God. When the scribe asks Jesus about the greatest commandment, he replies with the Shema, and you would pray that several times a day. You wanna pray like Jesus prays? Pray the Shema, Shema Israel, which is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is Lord alone. And then Jesus tells it like this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself because he's the image of God or she's the image of God. So think about what it means to love God differently than you love anybody else. With your whole heart, your heart is the core of what your being is. With all your soul, your soul is the image of what it means to be a human being made in the image of likeness of God. With your mind, the intellectual understanding. With your strength, it's the strength of your body, your, your virtue, Uh, your ability to give yourself away. But when it comes to love of neighbor, we're supposed to love our neighbor just as we love ourselves. We reserve a different love for God than we reserve for others. But since we are the image and likeness of God, though we cannot love a neighbor like we love God, how we love God forms how we love our neighbors. This is the nature of divine friendship. If you go back to the Old Testament, uh, the Hebrew word for neighbor was re'ah. And the two big examples of it in the Old Testament is one is in Genesis, in chapter 38 of Genesis, where Jacob had a friend named Hirah, and they were neighboring shepherds, and they would help each other out with, with their flocks of sheep. That's what re'ah meant what it means to be a neighbor. That same word is used later in in Exodus to describe Moses talking to God. Moses 
is referred to as the Re'ah of God, that they're like fellow shepherds. And that's why it says in Exodus that Moses and God talked face to face like friends talk. Nobody else talks to God the way that Moses talks to him, unless you want to go back to the very beginning of Genesis. So the problem this presents, this Hebrew understanding of friendship, is that Aristotle said that friendship requires some equality. You know, you can't really be a friend with uh, the emperor if you're just a common laborer. There's just too much distance between you. Uh, in Greek, there had to be some koinonia, which we say common, community. It, it's, if there's too much distance, you really can't meet as a friend to friend. And so in this, what Thomas Aquinas would say is that what God has restored to the human, human being in this love that is shared with you, between the human being is that we meet God face to face, that God condescends to us through his own son, through communion, which is the sacrament of the Eucharist, uh, the baptism confirmation, that we are made friends of God. This is the key idea of, the, of what sanctity is. Sanctity is to be God's friend. So how are the saints God's friends? Well, they live faith, hope, and charity. They have acquired virtues of, a, of a justice and prudence, temperance and courage. But all those acquired virtues, those four virtues, in how Thomas Aquinas will elucidate them, um, are all practiced in charity. It's charity that gives them their form. Probably the great expression of... Um, love and friendship in the Gospels is at the very end of the Gospel of John in chapter 21. It's the last chapter in John. Remember, Jesus appears by the, the uh, shore of the lake. The guys are out fishing. He's cooking for them. They come ashore. And then at one point, Jesus sits down with Peter and he asks Peter two times, do you love me? And the word that Jesus uses in the Gospel of John is agape, which is always this sense of how God loves us in this, in this way that's completely selfless. Um, and you remember when, how Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But the word that um, Peter uses is philia, which is the Greek word for friendship between people. So you could say these two exchanges are like this. Peter, do you love me like God loves? And Peter would say, you're my friend, Lord. Peter, do you love me in a way that's divine? And Peter would say, I love you as a human, as a friend. Then the third time Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? He, he, Jesus changes. And instead of using the word agape, Jesus uses the word filio, this human's understanding of friendship. Peter, do you filio me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I filio you. Friendship, 
Why did God become man? So that we could share something in common with the second person of the Trinity and come to a humanly understandable way of being God's friend. You know, in the gospel, when Jesus mentions love, it always shifts to the cross as if this is the great expression of God's love. So Jesus says, quote, this is my commandment, love one another as I love you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you, end quote, John 15. John's gospel goes on to talk again and say, quote, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. This is chapter uh, three, isn't it? So that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but might have eternal life, end quote. John chapter three, 16. Jesus invites his friends and the disciples to participate in his mission. They too are called to reveal the Father's love. By doing so, they will participate in the cross. And so what will they share with Jesus? Quote, the world hates you, realize that it hated me. Remember the word I spoke to you, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. That's John chapter 15. And so love of God and neighbor, how does it happen? We're supposed to love God, our Father, as completely as a human being can love. Um, but it's always limited by human love. We can never love like God loves us. So in one sense, Aristotle is right. The relationship is unequal. But when God condescends to share his divine life in the sacraments, especially of baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist, uh, we enter into a different capacity of love, a love where our capacity for friendship is lifted up to the divine and participates in the mission, the, the saving mission of God. Why it's important that we reach out to our neighbors. And we do this because we live a life of virtue. We take care of our interior life. And so I'd like to bring this to an end and talk a little bit about your prayer life and how it is that you pray to God. Friendship with God, to love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and your neighbors, yourself. It's a life of virtue, of uh, the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love, the acquired virtues or the cardinal virtues of justice, temperance, moderate, uh, moderation, uh, and courage, and all the virtues that fit into those cardinal virtues. But it's all fired um, by prayer. And so I want to share a prayer with you that I had at my ordination. It was on my holy card of my ordination. And it was from St. Teresa of Avila, who was a real friend of God, lived from 1515 to 1582. She was from a family of converted Jews, was a Carmelite nun, founded the reform that St. Teresa of Lisieux lived in. And so her life was very austere. It, her Early on, 
She wanted to be a martyr. So she and her little brother, and they were just kids, were heading south in Spain to see if they could get the Muslims to martyrdom because you know she wanted to be the friend of God that would share the sufferings of Jesus. But this is the prayer that she offered, which I offer to you as a prayer uh, in friendship um, and the trusting friend that you are of God. And so you've probably heard this prayer, but I love it. Let nothing disturb thee, nothing affright thee, all things are passing. God never changes. Patient endurance attains to all things. Who God possesses and nothing is wanting. Alone God suffices. Don't get wigged out about stuff. Don't be afraid of anything. God's always there. He's always the same. Have some courage. That's what patient endurance is. Who God possesses and nothing is wanting. That is, nothing is lacking uh, if you have God. Because God is why we want anything at all. God is at the heart of all our friendships. So don't let anything disturb you this week. God bless you. This has been Oro Valley Catholic.